Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for the Steelers Retro Show from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside with me, as always, is the great Tony Defio, BTSC Hall of Famer. And just like me, loves to go back in time with all of you and talk about great games from Steelers yesterday. This is one of my all-time favorites, Tony. It was a transitional time in my life, not a bad time, actually a pretty good time in my life, but it was when things were unsure, and so were the Steelers. The Steelers at the time were an 8-4 and four team, and it was Cordell Stewart's first year as the starting quarterback of this team. So what I'm going to say to you first, Tony, is our journey is going to begin when we go back to a time when Robin Williams and Flubber was bouncing to the top of the movie box office, Sugar Ray's Fly was hot on the radio, loved that. Also, tub thumping was big at the time. I get knocked down, I get up again, and you're never going to keep me down, Tony. I remember the song, I, just remember, I don't remember how it goes now. Sugar Ray's Fly, you know that one though, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Just wanna fly. Yippee. I remember that one. Oh. I, I still hear that in play regularly on the radio. And also, Cities for Life Day helped citizens of 300 world cities oppose the death penalty. So very interesting time, Tony. I didn't even say hello to you. I just went straight into it. You doing well, my friend? I'm doing well. I, as you were making your introduction and talking about 1997, I was real, realizing how important that year was to me, too, and how much fun it was to watch this team. They were going through transition. They had a, a new hot rival that just would not go away in the Jaguars, the expansion team. So they, this was an exciting year. And this was an important game, and I can't wait to talk about it. I'm doing fantastic. You're going to find out at the end of this some of the things that were going on with me, and you're going to get a laugh. I'll just keep that for the end, Tony. How about that? 
I love the suspense. I love it. And I think you'll enjoy that. But let's talk first about the Pittsburgh Steelers trying to keep their playoff hopes alive in a place that was all too unfriendly to them in 1997, the road. Yeah, tough times with road games, Tony. At 8-4, and Bill Cower Steelers had only won twice away from Three River Stadium after losing a game they were supposed to win in Philadelphia the week before. The Steelers were at a crucial juncture in their season, tied atop the division with Jacksonville, who already won on the day. Their foe was a 3-9 and nine Arizona team who had lost seven of their games, decided in the final minute, and four that went into overtime, man. Couple it with being in a city that they have lost all three times they visited, including Super Bowl 30, just about a year and a half earlier. The Steelers needed to win badly in Phoenix, Arizona, Tony. Welcome to November 30th, 1997, my man. I remember this game well. It was not, and you're right, the desert was not a good place for them in that era, 88, 94, and then the Super Bowl. It was uh, uh, one loss uh, worse than, than the previous one. It was, it, was a, it was not a great place for them to visit. Well, I will tell you this. Before the game, I went to my buddy's house, and he and his wife uh, decided that we would get a pizza. And my buddy said, let's get anchovies on half the pizza, because I know you guys don't like anchovies. I'm like, that's fine as long as I'll just stick to this half. And his wife was the same way. But you know, when, when you put anchovies on a pizza, it infects the entire pizza. I was going to say, that's exactly true. That's exactly and right. <laughs> I got to tell you, there's other things that, you know, people talk about not liking pineapple on their pizza or not liking this on their pizza. I will eat almost anything on a pizza, but never anchovies. So if you want to send a pizza to my house in anger for some reason, I know I don't know if people still do that. They did back in the eighties. Send it with anchovies because I'm not going to eat it, and that's going to make it even worse. I think, forgot about that. <laughs> I, we used to do that. <laughs> I never did it. I never did. I, uh, but, it brings back some good memories. All right. Sorry. <laughs> that's, I love it. Tony got it, passionate about stuff. I got to hear these stories too. They can be Tony two ams. All right, let's get into this game. That, that was a nice little diversion though. <laughs> the Steelers shut down Arizona with a three and out on the first series and took over after an Arizona punt by Jeff Fiegels. Quarterback Cordell Stewart, yes, number 10 in his first full year as a starter, marched his team onto the field. One would have thought that he forgot his passing arm as the Steelers took to the ground and pretty much stayed there. Remember, Tony, we've done 1997 before. Cordell Stewart, I'll let you take this one. Oh, yeah, it was a tale of two halves for Cordell. The fact that they opened up on the ground, I think that was, that was telling this late in the season. I think they wanted to, they wanted to get into the rhythm of the game before they, before they put it on our Cordell's shoulders. But, yeah, this, this drive, we're going to talk about this. I, I think Bill Cower has has sweet dreams about this drive three times a week. Cause I think this is a, uh, this is his, his dream drive. If there, if there was ever a dream drive for Bill Cowher, it was this one. Steeler fans today will dream of this drive because <laughs> of the 11 plays on the opening Steeler drive, nine were runs and two were completions to Yancey Thigpen for 22 yards. Most of those runs were executed by Jerome Bettis. He bullied his way for 39 yards including a drive high of 13 on the opening series. George Jones and Cordell had the other three carries in the series. The Steelers got down to the Arizona two-yard line, and it's easy. You just give it to the bus. Bus capped it off with a two-yard run for the score. One of my favorite Steeler kickers of all time. In fact, my favorite Steeler kicker, 
not named Gary Anderson, Norm Johnson hit the point after, and the Steelers led by the score of seven to nothing with 643 to play in the first. Tony, they took a lot of time off of the clock and they established dominance early by going to the run. And when you have a guy like Jerome Bettis, you are going to move mountains. Jerome Bettis is prime, 1996, 1997. His first two years in Pittsburgh were, were spectacular. In 1997, he, they really needed him, him him to carry a lot of the load with that, with a young quarterback. And this is a perfect example. They rode the bus all the way down to a 7 nothing lead. After a three and out by Arizona, was forced by two Earl Holmes tackles, the hitman, and a Chris Oldham sack, the Steelers got the ball back and went looking for more. However, despite eight yards on two carries by Bettis and a reception of another eight yards by tight end Mark Bruner, the drive ended prematurely. Josh Miller's first punt went into the desert sky. But rookie Jake Plummer, before he got all vagrant-like later in his career, couldn't do much at all as Arizona went three and out on their third straight drive. Now, I'm not one to make fun of a guy's looks, but Jake Plummer was a clean cut, good looking guy. Didn't get much done, but then he gets his, my name is Earl look long, greasy hair, long beard, looking like he just slept on the interstate. And then he starts throwing really well. Maybe he should have let himself go earlier, Tony. Absolutely. I remember the excitement surrounding him drafted by the Cardinals in the second round. He was at, at Arizona state. That's where he played his college ball. And, and he was a sensation, but you're right. He needed the long beard and the long hair in order to, uh, I guess he was, it was like his Samson. Yeah, I guess he was. Now, he would get better as the game went on, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. The Steelers' next drive extended into quarter number two. Even though Bussey took a screen pass 14 yards for a first down, Slash could not advance his offense past his team's own 44. The next two drives ended in three and outs as Carnell Lake and Mark Smith both achieved sacks. On their fifth drive, the Cards finally got a first down as Plummer, a mere one of nine at this point, connected on a 43-yard bomb to Rob Moore, who burned Donnell Wolford in the process. Now, I got to tell you, a lot of people rip on Wolford as being a bad free agent signing. I don't think he was that bad. He held down the one side for the Steelers all year long in 1997, Tony. He was opposite Chad Scott, your number one pick. In subsequent years, you would have guys like Dwayne Washington as the starting corner. But yeah, the, he, he did okay for him. He didn't have, it was an up and down year, but it wasn't a horrible year. Not as horrible as people remember it. And one of the reasons they probably remember it negatively is because he was replacing Rod Woodson at the time. who Impossible had task. <laughs> yeah, he left for San Francisco. Then Leland McElroy galloped for 13 yards before being brought down by Darren Perry at the Pittsburgh 15. But the Steeler defense held as Mike Vrabel teamed up with Keevan Henry and LaVon Kirkland for a sack and a tackle for a loss of Larry Centers, respectively. That brought on Joe Nedney to bury a 32-yard field goal to cut the deficit to four. It was 7-3 with 6.26 left in the half. Is Joe Nedney the guy that I can't stand because of the acting job against Dwayne Washington in the playoffs against the Steelers for Tennessee? That's exactly right. The lefty, he makes me ashamed to be a lefty. I can't believe he, <laughs> he, uh, he would go on to break our hearts in, in about five years. But, but on this day, he just kicked a mere field goal to make it 7-3. <laughs> if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Maybe Joe <laughs> Nedney should have been in the WWE. 
But behind the legs of Stewart, Bettis, and Courtney Hawkins and a pass to Charles Johnson, the Steelers were driving towards pay dirt. Yancey Thigpen had to leave the game briefly after getting blasted by Matt Darby, but Stewart's third incompletion on passes aimed towards the returning number 82 brought on fourth down. Pittsburgh finished off a 12-play drive with a Norm Johnson 40-yarder. With 113 left in the first half, the visitors led 10-3, to Tony. Yeah, good old Norm. He was he was a really reliable kind of a bridge kicker for them in between Gary Anderson and guys like Chris Brown in later years. He had a, a good two or three year run here and, and, and he, he could make him pretty much from, from anywhere. And this one was from 40 yards and it gave them a touch one touchdown lead in, in, the, in the first half. Vince Tobin's men had an opportunity to tie the game before heading to the locker room, aided by a ticky tack pass interference call on the rookie Chad Scott. However, Carnell Lake put a stop to the late charge with two sacks on the series. It was his second and third of the half and the fifth Steeler sack of the game's first 30 minutes. We're going to go to the second half right after this as we take a break here on the Steeler Retro Show. We'll be right back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. I am Brian Anthony Davis. Tony Defio is here as well as we go back in time to the Steelers, the Cardinals. It's danger in the desert, Tony. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned the, the three sacks by Lake in, in the first half. I bet you Jake Plummer was, was uh, eager for a break after, after being sacked five times in the first 30 minutes of the game. So after the Steelers went three and out, Jake Plummer and Frank Sanders hooked up three times for 45 yards on the opening drive of the new half. The third connection was for a three yard TD, but the score was now tied 10, 10 momentum looked to be shifting towards the home team. I was getting worried here. Uh, as was I, as you mentioned earlier in the show, the, the Cardinals may have been three and nine, but they were they were in a lot of close games. And after Pittsburgh went three and out, they took advantage and got right back into this one. They were going to be uh, there to fight the whole day. The Steelers would roar right back, though. The visitors drove 80 yards, courtesy of runs by number 36, the bus, and with two Cordell Stewart completions to Charles Johnson and one each to Yancey Thigpen. Courtney Hawkins and running back George Jones. No, not the country singer. They had a guy named George Jones that was a rookie that year. Number 43 he wore, I believe, Tony. Yeah, I forgot all about him, but I've been become more acquainted with him over these uh, all these games we do, we've been doing from 1997. He was really a nice uh, role player for them in, in his rookie year. On second and goal from the Arizona 7, Bettis barreled in for his second score. The Steelers were up 17-10 to 10 now with 420 to go in the third quarter. The next drive began with another sack by Jim Hazlitt's defenders. Jim Hazlitt, of course, was an NFL coach in this league, 
But first, he was the defensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he was quite good, Tony. He absolutely was. He, he had to replace both Don Capers and then Dick LeBeau, who were coordinators before him. And uh, he did a good job. This was, this was a really good uh, defense in 1997. Even though they lost a bunch of free agents over the years, they, they, he kept them he pretty stout. This one, this latest sack, was perpetrated by Earl Holmes, the hitman again. But the festival of scoring continued when Plummer took to the air again with passes to Moore and Sanders. Speaking of those two Cardinals receivers, the two connected on some gadgetry as Sanders, a former Auburn football player and outfielder. Yes, he played baseball too. He played in the College World Series. He threw a perfect strike to Moore for 26 yards. Finally, Jake the Snake found Chris Gedney for a score from 11 yards out over LaVon Kirkland. With only a minute left in the third, the score was deadlocked again, Tony, at 17-17. The home team Cardinals would not go away, Tony. What were we going to do? I, I, that's a good question. I mean, a- after a pretty good defensive performance in the first half, Pittsburgh <laughs> uh, for, left for defense in, in the locker room, I guess. But yeah, the, the, they would actually make the playoffs and, and beat the Cowboys in a wildcard round. So I guess they were, uh, they were an up-and-coming team. But you just didn't know it by their record at the time. This guy, Jake the Snake Plumber, he was becoming a true quarterback in this game. As the third bled into the fourth, the Steelers looked to take the lead once again. Two Cordell completions to Charles Johnson and five carries by Bettis got the Steelers down to the Arizona 27. But a third down pass to Will Blackwell, another rookie, left the Steelers four yards short of the marker. In comes Norm! Norm Johnson, he kicked another field goal from 38 yards out for a three-point lead with 9-12 left in the game. Not ready to bow out. Jake Plummer caught on fire in the second half and had something to prove. Number 16 completed a pass of 11 yards to Johnny McWilliams, but was sacked for a loss by Nolan Harrison, the former Raider. Another long pass of 44 to Moore got Zona inside the 10. Runs by Plummer and McElroy got the cards on the doorstep of victory with a third and goal at the Steeler one. That man again, Nolan Harrison, combined with Darren Perry, saved the game by stuffing Larry Centers for a loss of one. For the Steeler defense, the streak of not allowing a rushing TD now reached 26 quarters. The Cards had to settle for a game-tying field goal by Nedney at the 19 with 420 left in the game. Tony, they were on the verge of scoring. And Harrison and Perry, not Debo Harrison, Nolan Harrison, said no soup for you and shut them down. But they didn't go for it. They didn't go for the win because they knew how well, I guess, the Steelers were running the ball. What do you think was the rationale for the Cardinals not going on that fourth and one? I don't know. I mean, it, they, had, they had nothing to lose. They were three and nine, and yet the Steelers were pretty stout against the run. And, and as you said, they had not given up a rushing touchdown for 26 quarters, but Plummer was pretty hot at this moment. Rob Moore was, was a handful. Frank Sanders was a handful. I don't know why they didn't just uh, go for it there. I mean, if you don't get it, the Steelers are 98 yards away. And, and if you force them on, you know, the, the punt, then you, you have great field position again. So I think they should have went for it, but, but, you know, it's, it's, that's probably why we don't, we don't remember that guy's uh, name at whoever their coach was. I forget his name already. We don't remember him all these years later. Actually, that's a really good point, Tony. I, I like that. That's true. That is why we don't remember his name. What could have been the winning series was not though, Tony, things got nerve wracking when tackled John Jackson left with an injured knee on the series. 
but number 65 re-entered the game a few plays later. Whew. The Steelers converted a fourth down in their own territory at the 35 with a Bettis run. Now, there's the difference. They're at their own 35, and they're going for it on a fourth and one, and they're on the road. That takes a lot of guts by Bill Cowher, doesn't it, Tony? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I forgot all about that when I was re-watching this game last week. The Steelers had pretty much everything to lose because, you know, the difference in, in, a, in a win or a loss in this game could have meant the difference between a number one or a number two seed or a number five or a number six seed as a wild card. So Coward showed great guts and it shows you how much he trusted Jerome Bettis to, to go for it in, uh, that deep in his own territory that late in the game, in the tie game. Now it would not be of much consequence though because they really couldn't get past their own 42, and they punted to the Cardinals, pinning them deep at their own 15. But Jake the Snake was really finding himself with a 15-yard scramble, and then he hit Rob Moore twice again for a total of 50 yards on the drive. Man, he really owned that drive, Rob Moore. And, I guess you can say, plumber. With 22 seconds left, and definitely in Nedney's range, Nolan Harrison came up huge with another sack of plumber. Nedney, who won the previous week's game with a 43-yarder at the gun, marched on and lined up for the game winner. But Tony, 46 yards out, what happens? He shanked it to the right. No good right from the very moment it left his foot. You could tell it was no good. You you mentioned the, the, the sack by Harrison. And Jim Kelly, he was doing the color for this game for NBC. He was quite critical of the play calling here because he wanted them just to be conservative and, and kind of running up the middle a couple of times. They lost a few yards and that could have been the difference because uh, Joe Nedney was not really good from long distances this year. He was not. And that's what happened here. And you mentioned Jim Kelly calling this game. I thought he was marvelous in this game. I don't remember him having a long career as a color commentator, but I thought he was really good. He gets my vote for the, uh, the top Yinzer color analyst of all time. He's really, <laughs> you can tell where he's from every time he, every time he, he, he opens his mouth. He's, he, never, he never forgot where he came from. Arizona would win the toss, but LeVon Kirkland and Jason Gilden continued the Blitzburg Sackapalooza of a total of 10 on the day. And Fiegels had a punt again. Hawkins fielded the punt, and the Steelers set up shop at their own 48. Stewart went to work and hooked up for two passes and 32 yards with Yancey Thigpen. With the Arizona crowd chanting, here we go, Steelers, here we go. Here we go, Steelers. Here we go. Man, they're in Arizona, and they're still doing it. Because where do people retire to besides Florida, Tony? Pittsburgh West, Arizona. The <laughs> desert. They were there. Everybody talks about how the Steelers fans travel well. I completely disagree with that. They relocate, and that's what happens. And you find out that they're coming to your town even if you're two, three hours away, you're going to see it. So Steeler fans are from everywhere. I've got a great anecdote. When I went to the San Diego Chargers game, Monday Night Football in the 2005 Super Bowl season, and I was talking to this woman, Tony, after the game, because I said, where are you from? And she said, Johnstown. I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm from <laughs> Johnstown. I said, where'd you go to high school? She said, Richland High School. I'm like, I went to Richland High School. She wow. goes, no, you didn't. Nice try. I'm like, yeah, I did. I told her this, this, and this. She goes, okay, you went to Richland High School. <laughs> I actually said, look, I'm not hitting on you. I'm bored. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I mean, you hear those stories all the time. I mean, so many Pittsburghers have, as you said, re- relocated. And so many people from the general area 
and you could be anywhere in the world and, and it, it doesn't shock, shock you if, if you run into somebody who's right who's from the same hometown or same area as you. Bettis rambled twice for eight yards to the 10. Then on third down and two, give it to the bus. And Jerome bounced off two tacklers and one of his own linemen into the end zone for a thrilling win. The Steeler heavy crowd rejoiced as Pittsburgh moved to nine and four and remained in a tie with Jacksonville at the top of the AFC Central. Wow, that was such a great game, Tony. It certainly was, and it was, it was really important. As we watched the 1997 season unfold, we saw how Jacksonville had to set up for the wild card. Pittsburgh, they, they went in as number two, but they ultimately got to host the AFC Championship game. So none of that probably happens if they lose, if they lose games like this. And they had a lot of close games, but they came through in most of them this year. Yes, they did. And, you know, they don't they might not even make the playoffs because the next week they had a very tough game against Denver at home where they beat Denver, the eventual Super Bowl champions. They had more tough games. If they don't win this one, they might go on a slide, Tony, especially losing to a team that's three and nine. Absolutely. And, and if, if you watch the game, you saw how intense and emotional Bill Cower was. I mean, he knew how important this game was and he knew that they needed to get it. And he knew that Arizona wasn't going to probably, he probably knew beforehand that they weren't going to be a cream puff. So this showed a lot of character for them. They struggled on the road that year, but, but they, they, they came away with a, a huge win in this game. Both Bettis's ninth 100 yard rushing game of the season for 161 total yards and three scores were paramount for the Steelers, especially as he shredded one of my all time favorite Steelers, Arizona defensive line coach, Joe green. You know what? I wish them well everywhere they go when they're a Steeler. I love it. I, I'm glad to see them hook on with another team because Joe Green was a DL coach for the Steelers, but he had more of an opportunity for Arizona. But I really loved watching him go after it. Oh, yeah. This was, this was uh, again, this was him at his best. Bettis was just such a workhorse at this point of his career. You know, when he came here, he, he immediately said, I want to retire here. And that's basically what he did because he knew this was the perfect destination. After things sort of uh, faded for him with, with the Rams, he, he came here and found the perfect home. This game might have been one of the greatest examples of what he meant to the Steelers. Best trade in Pittsburgh Steeler history. I'm going to say that right now. My apologies to Minka Fitzpatrick. Rob Moore's 188 yards receiving fueled Arizona, but without Jim Hazlitt's stifling defense, the Steelers would have fallen into the desert night. The win for Pittsburgh was their first ever in Arizona and put them back on track to defeat both Denver and New England to reach the playoffs. Their journey did end, though, a game short of the Super Bowl in January, but this game was another memorable contest from that year, Tony. Usually this is where I insert a touching family memory of what I was doing, but this one's pretty seedy, Tony. I have no problem saying that, but it's one of my great memories, so bear with me. You ready, buddy? I'm ready. Okay. During the time of this game, I was mired in a very rare personal controversy, and it's really strange for me because I rarely have a problem with anybody and vice versa. You know me, Tony. I don't fight with hardly anybody. No, you're one of the most easy, easygoing guys I've ever met. Now, I was into acting back then, but I was playing Curly, the villain in a West Virginia community theater production of, of Mice and Men in West Virginia, in Elkins, West Virginia is where I was at. I'm a 25-year-old free agent. I joined the production to hook up with acting chicks, really. That's why I did it. 
I thought my character, who was a complete slime ball, Curly was. Curly was terrible. He needed even more character, so I found it fitting to stuff socks in my Wranglers for effect. I thought that would be cool. Well, let's just say a few of the theater regulars and the married woman playing my wife found my corked Wranglers very offensive. So they called me in for a cast meeting, Tony. It was kind of an intervention. The stage manager that had been very flirty with me tipped me off at the time that it was going to be some bizarre theater etiquette intervention to discuss my horrid behavior. Now, I guess I just didn't fit in. Not at all. That was to be at 7 p.m. Now, this was a West Coast game. So I was annoyed that I was in this position, especially since the Steelers were still on. So I decided, you know, it's not over. I'm going to make them wait. If they're going to call this special meeting to just put me in my place, it was just an acting choice. And I was really annoyed. So the Steelers won. I'm on quite a high at this point, Tony. I'm not very confrontational either, but I showed up at the theater. I marched in late and I announced my presence by pulling a pair of socks out of my pants and spiking it on the stage floor, just like Jerome Bettis did a half an hour earlier with the football. I then proclaimed, this is nothing compared to some of the things I've seen backstage, and I saw some doozies, so lay off. I then stated that I was leaving and pointed to the stage manager that helped me out and asked her if she was coming with me. It was kind of like a lame version of that scene in Jerry Maguire, Tony. But she rose to join me as I exited stage something. Nothing more was said the rest of the show's run. You're probably wondering why I'm bringing up this story, Tony. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Uh, it sounds to me like you were just engaging in method acting. So I don't know what the heck, you know, what, what was up with them, but keep going. I want to keep, I want to hear more. I felt like I was being singled out. So I was going to stick up for myself. Not my best moment. I, I know that. After that, never had a problem again. Did the Steelers really have anything to do with my new awakening? Why would I bring that up? Well, I just witnessed their reawakening and was so inspired. The 1997 team, Tony, was one that had flaws and pitfalls, just like me, but they rose above most of the season with a cool swagger. So, yes, I kind of think so. I really do. I love it. I love that story. I think it's one of my favorite stories you've ever told. I, I, I should have I should have been hanging out with you back then. I needed, I needed a good <laughs> mentor. I needed to... I, I don't have any of those kind of stories. Uh, that was back in the 2 a.m. times. I'm a different man now. Just a little bit crazy back then. But that's, I guess that's why they call me 2 a.m. And this happened at 7 p.m. <laughs> you were just sowing your royal oats. Like Akeem <laughs> like and coming to America. That's <laughs> like Akeem and, and you could have been my simmy. How about that's that? Right. I would have, hey, I, he had some <laughs> luck in that movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Tony, last thoughts about this great game. It was, I, I remember where I was when, when, when Nendy, I didn't even know who Nendy was going to wind up being in Steeler Lore at that point, but I remember where I was when he missed the field goal. I remember seeing my uncle go nuts when, when Bettis made that. It was really a great second and third effort to score that touchdown. So it was just one of those uh, games that stands out for me and I'll never forget it. And it, it was just a fantastic year. And, and it's kind of like the last hurrah for the Steelers of, of the 90s. So I, I, I love talking about this game. I do too. Thanks so much, Tony. For Tony Defio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. You can take us away. We don't mind, but you better promise us we'll be back in time. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.